Matrix is a system, Neil. That system is our enemy. When you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system, and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system, that they will fight to protect it. Were you listening to me, Neo? Or were you looking at the woman in the red dress? Good morning, good morning, good morning. I want to welcome everyone to Veritas Radio Network and the Mark Kresslin Show. My name is Dwayne Stovall, and I am sitting in for my good friend and brother, Mark Kresslin. Uh, I am absolutely winging it. This is the very first time I've ever been involved with anything like this. Um, any of you who've listened to uh, Mike Church over the years have probably heard me visit with him. You've probably heard him do some very awful, terrible, hideous uh, impersonations of me. Um, if he sounds like me, don't call me and tell me he does. Uh, I don't want to hear it. To me, they're awful, so we're going to go with that. Other than that, today is going to be uh, interesting to say the least. I am a layman's layman. I'm not an academic or a intellectual or overly formally educated, so we're going to leave it at that. I, I find my, my role in all of this mess that we're in today is to be an interpreter between the likes of those who are, who are extremely educated and, and know all the details and those of us that are more like me that need to hear it in plain and simple language. And that's kind of where I come from. Uh, I am almost 51 years old. I got into this political realm probably a decade ago, maybe two, a little over. And what I have learned is that Every single day, if I, I think at least once that if I could go back 15 years and just be a, a full-blown neocon that just lives by my red, white, and blue, I, I would be much better off. But, you know, it's an interesting thing. It's like the red, blue, uh, red pill, blue pill. Uh, once, you've, once you've delved off into the truth and you start really putting yourself to it, you can't go backwards. You're, you're stuck. So... Here we are, and if you're listening, thank you very much, and we're going to try and get through this together and and maybe not have too much of a train wreck today. This is a very large learning experience for me, and I appreciate Mark for giving me the opportunity to, uh, you know, have a, a flaming crash in front of all of his listeners, <laughs> but, but we'll see how it goes. Today, I want to talk a little bit um, over the course of uh, this two hours, uh, about a lot of things I'm sure Mark touches on already quite a bit. He and I have known each other for a few years now, and, and uh, we discuss these things at length, you know, driving down the road, and, and I'm sure he shares most of this with you. I've heard him talk about much of it uh, already. We're going to get into a little scale, a little debt, uh, a little public desensitization, uh, some of the bigger stuff that I deal with. For those of you that don't know, I run an organization called Get Off My State. I travel, uh, historically I've traveled the state of Texas. I've talked to a little over 20,000 people so far. But in the last six months, the, uh, the dynamic has changed and, and we've been requested to go uh, outside the, 
the state of Texas. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be going abroad. I'm going to be going as far away to, uh, uh, right now we're scheduled to go to San Jose, California at the end of this month. And uh, so I'm going to be going abroad to some foreign countries like California. Uh, we're going to see how the message of federalism and divesting authority and getting rid of this nationalist viewpoint sounds in other places other than my state, uh, which I kind of already have a a feeling of how Texans Texans go with it. It's it's a tough situation to get into when you're dealing with the original intent of the Constitution. Um, I have come to believe that we who are little R Republicans, as Mark refers to in his opening, uh, tend to be the ones who hallucinate these days. Now, where we walk around and we see all these, that matrix viewpoint where we've got all these what we like to joke about being sheep, uh, running around living in this this matrix of, of created false patriotism and false uh, everything. Uh, basically, your your dollars false. Everything about the the dynamic of freedom is false in in our governmental system today. But those of us who understand the original context and the original design, I think we've gotten to the point now where we're the ones who hallucinate that there's any any chance that you can possibly restore uh you know our constitution and and the uh the original design so i i come at everything very simply and and not you'll very rarely hear me getting into economic issues because i think those are beyond uh our concern i mean you, we're going to be concerned about them naturally but there's really nothing we can do to correct a, a, a situation that we had today. Um, to start with, I, I, I want to tell you a little bit about who I am, how I got to where I am. Uh, like I said earlier, about 10 or 12 years ago, I was the biggest neoconservative you could, you could meet. I was probably that guy that would use, and I know I was, I've, I've used this language before, I was that guy that used we when referring to bombing other countries and, and you know, would lament the fact that we're somewhere but around the globe doing something, but I would always speak to it in, in uh, first person, we're, you know, we're, we're the ones over there bombing Libya, or we're the ones doing this, and, and now you won't catch me doing that at all. I'm, I've, I've kind of cleared my, my mind of the idea that I have anything to do with what this government does on a daily activity. And what, I've, what I have come to a very clear conclusion is, is that the majority, of, not the majority, all Americans and every citizen and every single individual state is being robbed from uh, to pay for things that, that they don't necessarily give their consent to. And I think everyone that listens to Mark's show or listens to Veritas Radio Network probably is in the same pool. If, you, if you're not and you're new, uh, just sit back and kind of soak it in and, and uh, you know, use your own logical thinking, your critical thinking skills to kind of work through this because there's a lot of realities, a lot of truths that we need to deal with that most people, when I joke about us being the ones that hallucinate, most people live in a fog of hallucination where we're the most free country in the world and we, you know, everything that our government does is right and, you know, well, it's... You know, it's for the good of the country, and if we wouldn't be over there, if, 
if uh, it wasn't the right thing to do. And, and for somebody like me, that's just hogwash anymore. Um, I, I just don't buy into it, and I don't want to participate with it any more than I absolutely have to. Um, so when I was in my late 30s, uh, I, I came across uh, Mike and was listening to his show very early on, very early, like within a year or two of him starting out. And uh, amazingly, uh, he and I were on a very close trajectory as far as our own personal growth and learning and, and the way we were coming around. I, th I think Mike would tell you, too, he used to be a, a neocon as well, but uh, or thought more along those lines. But as I started un you know, peeling away the layers of, of source documents and truths and all that, I came across a lot of the, the uh, epiphanies that many of you that are listening uh, have already crossed over, and many of you who have gone beyond me. And it upset me greatly, and I got, I got fiercely uh, uh, involved in trying to affect the change and that restoration, you know, that, that, that correcting the union, getting it back to where it originally designed. It's really simple. Just listen to what I'm saying, and this is the way it goes. And, this, and I found out that, that when you get into issues of scale, which came to me uh, a few years later, uh, it, the, the, the size and scope of the issue is so large that the idea that we're going to restore uh, the original intent or, or the original construct of the, of the system of government we have is, is that's, that's not a very fruitful, uh, or, or the ability for us to do that is really not there. It's just too large of an issue. Um, we have, our scale in this country has gotten so large uh, as far as the problems versus how the people have an opportunity to, to involve themselves with it. We're not represented in this government in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I deal with that and, and get off my state presentations weekly. Uh, and people have a very hard time dealing with that. Some people reject it altogether. Um, you can have people completely agree with you that the original scope of um, ratio between how many uh, citizens there was supposed to be or the range of citizens that were supposed to be per representative um, that 30,000 to one scale that was in the Constitution originally. To, well, you can talk to people about that and you can bring them forward and say, but look at what we have today. We've got over 750,000 of us to a single representative. There's, that is an impossibility. You cannot possibly be represented in that ratio. Um, those who get closest to that person, those who you know, eat breakfast with them, uh, or buy them breakfast, buy them dinner, uh, donate to their campaigns, fly to see them in D.C. where they're displaced from us and we don't get to see them. Uh, those are the people who influence them. It's not the, there's no one really in, in any kind of percentage uh, or, or market, marketable percentage that, that see them at the grocery store or see them at the gas station or have dinner with them, break bread with them, go to church with them. There, there's, they just don't exist. The numbers are so small that no one knows who they are. So scale is such a large, overwhelming issue. But you can tell people that in very plain language and at the exact same time that they'll nod their heads and agree and, they'll, yeah, I get that. Yeah, boy, you're right. And two seconds later, they'll be, you know, 
advancing the notion that uh, if we just get enough of our guys in there and, and, you know, big R's or Republicans or whatever you want to label, whoever it is they think they need to get in there, that will fix everything. And that's where the biggest hallucination comes in, that you, you as an individual who are working in your state, uh, calling your congressman, calling... Now, I'm not saying don't call your congressman. If you can get into their business and make yourself known, do it. Um, that's, I mean, that's, that's one of the avenues you have. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those. I, matter of fact, one of the, the premises of uh, what we do with Get Off My State is we, we give people a very detailed, plain layman's viewpoint of Article 3 and the, and the authority that the uh, Congress has, both chambers, and what they're not using as far as in, in ways they can manage the executive branch or the ways they can manage the uh, Supreme Court. And people are drop-jawed when they figure out how simple it should be t for the Congress to be able to do that. But then you get down to those simple questions we all run into, which is, why don't they do anything? And you get back to those... Uh, the. Uh, Comparisons to uh, why uh, Congress being a potted plant. Well, yeah, they're more akin to a potted plant than they are representatives. They don't do anything. Well, why don't they do anything? Well, you, at sooner or later, you come to a point where you think they don't do anything because they don't want to do anything. They like it the way it is. Uh, the debt and the economy doesn't doesn't affect them in any personal way, so they they simply don't uh, concern themselves with it. They, they come home periodically when they absolutely have to. They entertain discussions with the um, serfs or the subjects or whatever you want to call us. And, you know, they stand in front of us in a $3,000 suit and they knead their hands and furrow their brows. And they tell us how tough it is. And they're fighting the fight for us. And they're conservative. They're pro-life. They give us all these lies. That uh, it, The, the pro-life thing is just... That's a whole other subject matter, and we're going to touch it before the end of tomorrow. But today, I have come to the to the uh, conclusion that we're just so de desensitized, whether it be through education. Uh, you know, we've got a century of this Prussian-style education system where where it's really designed just to create docile and manageable masses and not really to create free-thinking uh, individuals with logic. Uh, it's it's very oriented to control mechanisms for the government. And the, the idea that we're going to be raised, uh, and we've all done it, everybody that's listening now, is, they raise their own children this way, you were raised this way, you, you can't help it. We've got over 320 million of us, and every generation for the last 100 years has, has done the same thing. And as we raise our children to you know, give their undying loyalty to this government and to this flag, and we... You know, if if you're not supporting our measures in another country, then you're not patriotic. And you, you everyone listening here knows the the storyline. You 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 can't speak ill of our involvement in another country or our uh, policies that that take money from one and give to another. Or any of these things and have someone not reject you as being unpatriotic or or what have you so and if you get on the left side of the, the field you're talking about you know you hate everybody and you're a racist and you get into all these very overly simplistic arguments that are just uh background noise to help people keep from thinking 
uh, about the reality that's in front of them. So, that, but we're so desensitized to everything. Scale is so large that when you get into debt numbers, they're just zeros, and people don't even pay attention to it. When you say you have $220 trillion in unfunded liabilities on average, depending on which, which study you're reading, people go, oh, yeah, that's awful. And when you say, well, you know, we've increased our debt 10% in just this last um, um, presidential cycle, oh, yeah, that's terrible. Well, we really ought to do something about that. Well, that, that's kind of a standard, you know, uh, rebuttal, or not a rebuttal, response. That, uh, you know, we were like, yeah, we really ought to do something about that. I'm a conservative. We don't need to be in debt like that. Well, you know, at what point in time do you ever vote against your own income? Uh, I live in the state of Texas. We've got uh, almost 29 million people in the state. Uh, and the, I've seen studies where with the numbers as high as 57% of the population in this state uh, receives subsidy funding payments, whatever you want to call it, money uh, from the government in some way, shape, or form. That goes all the way from food stamps up through contractors and employees. So what do you do? You're, you can't overcome people's uh, natural will or natural desire to vote for their own um, you know, bread. They're not going to vote to take money off of their own, out of their own wallet. So, how do you change these things? I don't necessarily think that you can economically. I think that there are many things we can do to change the way we govern. And would that have an effect on the economy? I think it would. I don't. Not really sure um, how. Uh, it would have any expediency, how fast it would go. But the way we manage each other or govern or represent, uh, by the way, you rarely hear me say a leader. I, I'm not looking for leaders. I have no need for leaders. Uh, they have leaders in the military. You've got leaders in, in different positions in life. In the governmental system, there shouldn't necessarily be a leader as people look at it today. Uh, representatives are one thing. Uh, those are are overly so, uh, we give them too much credit for being not much more than uh, gophers. <laughs> they are gophers for the people. Uh, I, I love the old adage from uh, uh, my cousin Vinny when he says the president is just a bum. Well, I I believe that about all of them. I believe that about all of us, myself included. I I don't think there's any reason to put anyone in politics, especially in politics, on any kind of pedestal. But we are all very well trained as as children growing up through our education system, through what our, our parents have been through and what they hand down to us, that we see this government in this special kind of almost a deity. And some people do see it as a, as a godly figure. And we all know this. And it, we see it in that manner Therefore, we get to these conclusions like we all fight with every day, which is, well, what did a, whatever the judge says is what the judge says. It, let me hear what the Supreme Court says before we get into anything else because, you know, they control everything. And that mentality actually falls into our Congress where we have a group of people, men and women, who have absolute control over 99.9% .9 of what the Supreme Court does, and yet they are so well-trained um, in the in the understanding, false understanding that the the 
citizens of this entire union believe today, which is that the Supreme Court's the final arbiter of everything all the time, everywhere, that we've got two chambers of a Congress who are sitting around waiting on their kings to speak. Uh, and when the Supreme Court speaks, they go, oh, well, well, we tried, you know, but the Supreme Court ruled. And when you try to have an explanation uh, or a conversation with one of these people and say, but you control the Supreme Court, they don't grasp it at all. I've had that conversation with numerous uh, members of Congress, and it's, it's tough. They, they just don't get their authority. Uh, I, I wish it was the other way around. I wish there was a way that you could talk them into divesting um, the power away from the government, by, uh, the federal government, back to the states. But at this point in time, I don't see anybody doing it. Even, even my favorite, favorite members, which you can count on one hand, uh, of the Congress don't really push the subject matter the way I want it. Um, I want to hear it every day in very plain language. Uh, I want to hear. I want to hear one congressman go to the microphone and say, "I'm not even sure why we're still talking about uh, the ACA or Obamacare because we didn't have the authority to to do this anyway." Um, but nobody does, and why don't they? It's because. Uh, Many, if not all, of the members of both chambers of Congress simply go by whatever the judges say as if they rule over the Congress. And it's, it's the polar opposite. But that's the dynamic we live in. So I, I don't know exactly how we're going to go forward uh, from where we're at today as more and more people start kind of coming to grips with the fact that they don't really have representation in the government. Um, that they they don't really have what the framers put out there in the Constitution and what the original states agreed to, which was that you know the people would be the term limits. The people would, you know, they would affect the change in the government when they saw fit. Uh, but that all falls back to that scale issue, and I'm sure many of you have heard Mark talk about this many times. And you can't say it enough. Uh, those of us who used to be, I used to be totally against term limits. Now, I'm perfectly fine with term limits on anything and everything. Uh, the, the, the scale, the ratio of people to the person in office is so large that now you're fixated. It doesn't matter how awful you are as a member of Congress. Uh, you're in office until you choose to get out. I mean, that's the ratio of those who get voted out of office is so low that it's kind of a proven point. If you get into office, you drop a few million dollars every few years, and you give a marketing campaign that comes out and blasts all the people in your your constituency base that they you're conservative and you're just like they are, and you can relate, and they vote you back in because you're the same name they see on the carton of milk every day. And I'm not talking about somebody who's lost, although they are lost. <laughs> you could put your congressman on a on a gallon of milk and say where are they that you know disappeared because you're never going to see them uh, and if you do see them it's going to be in a fixed position the same way every single time in a you know a town hall meeting and they're going to be suited up and you're going to be distant from them and they're going to limit the questions you ask i've even been to a uh, public meeting with a congressman where they told everyone in advance there would be no questions asked this is an individual who represented the the district where the public forum was held, and it wasn't a forum. It was him speaking to them, giving them Second Amendment jargon, uh, 
I'm pro-life jargon, how tough it is. This one has been in office for, uh, matter of fact, it's Mike Conaway, this one I'm thinking of in particular. He's out in West Texas. And he's been in office for so long. His personal wealth is so large now. Um, and he is, he's untouchable. Uh, or he perceives himself as untouchable. And I think West Texas is finally getting to a moment now where they might, they might do something about him. But interesting guy, uh, got into office, decided that uh, uh, he learned it very, very fast, very well connected to the Bush family. And when you go to this public forum and he gets a chance to speak to everybody, uh, we're not taking any questions. He gives you the Second Amendment, the pro-life speech. And then he, go, he actually tells the people in the audience, well, you know, that, that federal budget, that's not like your budget at home. Which is another way of an elitist telling you, look, little boy or little girl, um, you're just not smart enough to get what we do here. This is for the adults, and we're going to manage the way you do business. What's even uh, more interesting about that, that meeting was that I actually gave a presentation at that meeting, and while he was in he was present I, uh, in attendance. I, I got a chance to tell everybody in the room that they need to grasp the reality of the world they live in, and that is that they have a small, elite group of people who are uh, live by one mindset, and that is basically that they are 1,300 miles to our east, and they believe that we are just too stupid to manage our own lives. Now, if you, if you can see the look on people's faces when you talk about things like that in a group setting and a congressman who's 20 feet from you, who's looking at you, and he's, he's kind of uncomfortable to say the least, but everybody in the room is nodding their head with you. That's true. That's absolutely true. Well, it is true. Uh, you got, you got just a few hundred people in this country uh, located sometimes thousands of miles away from the, the citizens in the states who are just managing your life regardless of your input. They, we are more subjects than we are um, citizens. It's just it's tough reality, but it's what we've got to come to grips with, and, and we've got to figure out a way to combat this, this decline because you know we're centralizing power at, an, at a rate that's unheard of. Uh, it gets faster every single year. And the, the more I talk to people... The more I, I get this, this sense of urgency uh, that's overcoming everyone. And the older you get, the, the more the urgency hits you. That's the reason you have so many people above 45, 50 years old who are so much more politically active than your, your college-age kids who make a lot of noise but they don't have enough uh, good mornings, as a good friend of mine would say. They don't have enough good mornings. Uh, and he'll say they just need to keep saying good morning and it'll come to them. Well, we hope so. But we're at such a rate of decline now that people are very concerned about the centralization of power, and I am too, which is, which is really what overtook me um, to get into this speaking to groups. Uh, I'd like to see a larger movement. Now, you probably heard Mark talk about it. He and I have talked about it many times about agitating people to their feet or getting them getting them uh, moving, uh, not just meeting in what most of us uh, listening today would call choir meetings. You know, there's lots of choir practice going on around the country where they get together in groups of, of 20 or 40 people and, and they, you know, everybody gripes and, you know, we're bitching and complaining about what's going on. Well, 
that's all great and everything, but until you can actually increase the heat and and and, and turn that hot plate up on the the that person that's supposedly a representative, you you don't get any motion whatsoever. There's really only two ways to affect change in politics, and that is you buy it or you create such an a a negative atmosphere for the person that you need to move that they have to listen to you. And that comes with numbers. Uh, if you if ten people go to a congressman's office They'll get a they'll get a form letter, they'll they'll get a you know a appreciative shake your hand I'm I'm there with you I'm right there with you from a an underling. Uh, if ten thousand people showed up somewhere, that would not only be news. Uh, that congressman would need to talk to everybody, and he'd need to know what what the issue is and what I can do to change it. Because once you start shining poor light on them, and you start kind of turning up the hot plate, then uh, that chicken will move. Uh, the problem is we we are, and I say we as in those of us who are sick of all this and really would like to see a pathway to, to changing it, to reforming it, um, the way we govern. And everybody that listens, now, I, I, that's what I'm talking about, the way we govern, uh, the way this governmental system works. Those of us that want to move it, we're, we're all meeting in these small groups of 20 to 50 sometimes less, and there's thousands of these groups. This is the one thing that gives me hope. I'm not a hope and change guy, and I don't mean that in a, <laughs> I don't mean that in a Obama 2008 election thing. I mean that from the fact that I, I believe that what I've seen, I have, I have data, personal data from my own personal experience. There's enough people who meet in private, there's enough, uh, if you ever hear me say it's time to go to the Raleigh, where the founding generation, where the uh, many of the founders would get together and talk in private over a, a brandy or a, a drink, the, the idea that these people meet together and they talk and they discuss and they try to plan things that they can do locally, which is great. But there's so many of them. And, and that's where I get my, that one aspect of hope that I do have is there, there are hundreds of thousands of people across this, this union in different states who are meeting in these meetings like that. There's thousands of these groups who meet and lament the same things that these other groups are upset about. Well, how do you get these folks interconnected? Well, I have come to believe that it doesn't take a hundred thousand people coming to the to consensus together at one time at once. That's not going to happen. What's going to need to happen for me is it's going to take one person, one who gets to the right microphone, the right bully pulpit, the right access, who can articulate a message in a layman's uh, way. Not, I'm not negating anybody that's like me or putting down anybody that's like me that didn't finish college or didn't go to college or didn't finish high school for that matter. That's not the issue here. As a matter of fact, one of the things I joke about with everybody is I'm going to be running against John Cornyn in 2020. I'm basically running for it now. Uh, John Cornyn is a U.S. senator here in Texas who's basically voted for everything 
that would increase the size and scope in government and increase the debt uh, for the last 16 years, I think now. Um, awful, just awful, but sells himself on being a conservative. But when I talk to everybody, I, I tell everybody, I'll be doing this. I believe that 2020, and with any luck, it'll be 2018. I think this is going to be the period in, in Texas politics, and I hope it's that way across the country, of the layman. I think this is going to be the, uh, the, the year of the layman going into these, these next election cycles. I think we're going to have people who've had enough, who have common sense, who have enough understanding of the, the basic principles of the government uh, to step forward and say, I've had enough of this. We're not going to do this anymore. And, and just speak from the heart, speak the truth, and see what uh, comes of it. I'm looking to displace as many intellectuals and academics who are locked into this national viewpoint of we're all one body of people uh, as fast as we possibly can. Uh, the idea that we can get people out of office is tough. Uh, I've been through this before. For those of you that don't know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here in Texas. I'm in Liberty County, Texas. Don't be fooled by the name. We deal with issues around Liberty and here in our own county. But that, that being said, I'm just a, a regular Joe. I'm, I'm a, a dad. been married 25 years. I've got three children. I've sat on the school board for a number of years here locally and um, wasn't politically active. I just, you know, I had my opinions. I did my coffee shop morning talks about how we fix everything on the planet, and, and I went my way. Well, in the last 10 years, that's all changed. And sitting over dinner with my wife, um, I made the decision I'd run against John Cornyn. Well, who goes from being nobody with no political connections to running for a U.S. Senate seat in one of the largest states in the Union? Well, you got to be a complete idiot to do it, or you have to be completely motivated by the right principles. I find myself in both categories. So, you know, whether it was a stupid idea or not, uh, it was like going to every university in the country at one time and... Um, uh, just just for the record i'm i'm relatively proud of the results of that of that campaign i pulled right out 11% of the state of texas in a primary against a a very well known incumbent and i did it with only $70,000 and he spent upwards of 5 to 10 million dollars uh, between packs and his campaign uh, to pull just over 50% uh, or a little over 50% uh, which is horrible for somebody who's been in public office here in texas for 20 years but uh, for an absolute nobody to garner that kind of that kind of result was pretty impressive. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. I thought it was just a loss. You know, you lose, you lose. But uh, in political science, it was a big deal, and I found that out afterwards. But I'm going to do it again, and and the reason I'm going to do it again is because of what I've learned over the course of the last three years of of doing these presentations. Um, this has been an, an enlightening. It's been both painful and enlightening and hopeful at the same time. You, you get to see how deeply entrenched we all are into this, this national viewpoint, but you also get to see how many people are upset and they're really unsure of, of what needs to be done uh, and what can be done, what options they have. And it, they're there. There's, there's mechanisms still available to us. Uh, the truth is one of the most important mechanisms we have, and, and there's so little of it being circulated uh it, it's it's like um 
it's interesting. The truth in politics, the truth in the governmental system we have, is spoken in small groups quietly in behind closed doors. And it's because if you were to stand in public and say most of what I say at my presentations, uh, you'd, you'd be the craziest person, which I bet you the majority of the people that listen to this program uh, get into these. Some people get into full-blown arguments over the topics that we talk about and, and that Mark talks about <laughs> because people just can't grasp it. It's very hard to get people to... Uh, to wrap their heads around the idea that they're not represented, that uh, they're not an American first, that they're in Texas we don't have that issue as much with natives, but Texas has a very large influx of imports, uh, immigration from other states, and these folks are are generally more uh, well trained than Texans are in the idea that they're Americans first, and we live in this great big monolithic singular United State. Uh, which is all complete and utter nonsense. But they come here like that, and they reject any ideal, um, any self-identification as a, a Texan first, which I'm a Texan first, and period. And most of the people I know who are native Texans uh, believe that away also. But, you know, that's a, it's an interesting personal viewpoint that, that most people see as kind of a little off like it makes you some kind of anti-America uh, person. You're not patriotic, which is couldn't be further from the truth. But that said, uh, we're going to get into a lot of that today. Uh, this is a great opportunity for me, from, from Mark, to be able to sit in for him. He's trusting me a lot not to completely, absolutely, and utterly destroy his show. And I will try my best not to do so. If you tune in, if you go away and tune back in and we're spinning Barry White and talking about sports, you know it didn't go well. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're coming up here on this, uh, a little break that we've got to take, and, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here. If you're listening, I'm glad you're here, and I'm hoping that between all of us together we can start advancing some of these, these principles that we know to be true and, and uh, just keep the heat on. And see if we can't get some people to, to move, uh, you know, move, do something uh, instead of standing and just griping. Let's let's get some of these people to keep moving. Anyway, uh, we're going to take a break, and uh, I want you to know we're on the the Veritas Radio Network on the Crusade Channel, and this is radio the way it should be. 